Amen. Praise God. Well, I want to welcome you this morning. My name is Daniel, and I'm the lead pastor here at the church. If it's your first time with us, I especially want to welcome you. Uh, we're so glad you're here. This is Mission Sunday, and so the ushers are going to come. Want to come and prepare to receive your missions gifts this morning. Um, I want to encourage you, don't feel any pressure to give today, but if you want to partner with missionaries like the Babylonians, this is our opportunity. As a church, we've always had missions at the center of what we do, and uh, we support close to 30 missionaries around the globe, and we believe that the gospel needs to go forth. And so I'm going to pray specifically for Carol and Ramon uh, today, and then we're going to jump into the word, and you're going to see why things look a little bit different today. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you today for Ramon and Carol. We thank you for their ministry, Lord, which has impacted thousands of lives. Lord, we pray, continue to pray for the country of Colombia especially. Lord, we pray for the pastors and ministers that have been raised up. Lord, we pray for churches that have been birthed in that that region. Lord, we pray today that you would strengthen them. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity you give us to partner with you in what you're doing around the globe. And we ask, Lord, as we turn to your word today, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified. The Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and to to change us, Lord God, to change our thinking. Lord God, we don't want to leave here the same way, and so we're thankful for the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Now, if you're a a regular here at Grace Point, you'll notice things look a little bit different today. because we usually spend the first part of the service worshiping and then we uh, turn to the word, but we're flipping things on their head today, okay? Giving our topic, worship is going to come as a response to the message, and you'll see why as we dive into it. We are now 10 weeks into a 12-week series on spiritual disciplines, based off the, the book Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. And what is a spiritual discipline? Here's what we said the whole time through, that a spiritual discipline is a good habit that allows you to remain open to God and to develop yourself spiritually. Each of these disciplines that we're talking about allow us to remain open to what God wants to do in our lives. And our openness to God in these things actually uh, shapes us into the very image of God, the Imago Dei. Now know this that these things we're talking about don't earn us brownie points with God, okay? And these things shouldn't be drudgery in our lives because ultimately they provide the opportunity to grow spiritually. And so from the very beginning, we said that the purpose of these spiritual disciplines is the total transformation of the self. As a church, our mission statement is this. I want you to see it. Grace Point exists to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Grace Point exists to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. This is why we're here, okay? To to help take you from wherever you are today and, and to bring you to walk together to that place of complete devotion to God. And so it doesn't matter this morning where you're at in your spiritual journey. What matters is the direction that you're moving in, okay? You may say, I'm not where I want to be today. I'm not where I should be today. I've made some bad decisions that have put me in a place that I never wanted to be. And and here's the bad news, okay? The bad news, first of all, most personal problems can't be completely fixed overnight, okay? 
You know, I consider myself to be pretty handy, and that's a blessing and a curse, right? Because I can fix things, but my wife knows I can fix things, okay? And, and I love it when there's something that can be fixed very easily. You know, you tighten a bolt or a screw, and you're like, look what I did, right? But I want to tell you, life is not like that, okay? Life is not like a computer, okay? You get to where you should be the same way you got to where you shouldn't be. We get there through direction, okay? Not a quick fix solution. And, and so often, we don't need to be fixed. We need to change our direction. Maybe you've been living in the wrong direction, but here's the good news. Change your direction, and things will eventually change, In the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest sermons ever preached, Jesus said this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, everyone who hears these words of mine and and lives into them will be like a man who has built his house on the rock. I want to tell you today, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're trusting in the work that he accomplished on the cross, salvation is yours today, right? And you can be saved and yet still wrestle with the problems of life or the consequences of past decisions. And Jesus doesn't promise a quick fix to all of your problems. Instead, he invites you to live in a different direction. And so the question that each of us should ask on a, on a regular basis is this, am I living in a direction that's going to get me to where I want to be spiritually? And I'm not just talking about heaven. I'm not just talking about eternity. I'm talking about being the man or woman of God that he desires you to be. You see, when you're driving, if you get lost, you go the wrong direction, it's going to cost you maybe 10, 15 minutes, right? Depending on how bad of a turn you made, right? But in life, if you're living in the wrong direction, it can cost you years, even decades of time. And so Jesus, he invites us. He invites us to follow him. And so this is our desire as a church, to follow him in every area of our lives, because direction determines destination. Touch your neighbor and say, direction determines destination. Come on. Direction determines destination, right? We know this morally. Direction determines destination. Financially, right? Direction determines destination. But most importantly, spiritually, our direction determines our destination, And the truth is, we're all going to end up somewhere, but I trust you want to end up somewhere on purpose. Follow Jesus, and you'll end up somewhere on purpose with a purpose. And so this year as a church, we're really leaning into discipleship. In the month of April, we're going to start a year-long discipleship journey. We're going to start with understanding who God is, knowing who he is, understanding uh, his attributes and his character. We're going to talk through some great topics over this year, like the call to discipleship. What does that mean? And the grace of God and the cross and sin and repentance. And we're going to engage around these topics in what we call community groups. These groups will be bi-weekly. Some are going to take place in homes, some over Zoom, uh, some right here in the church. You're going to hear more about this in the weeks ahead, and you'll have an opportunity to sign up for a community group the week after Easter. And so this is an invitation, okay? Again, you might not be where you want to be right now, but there is an invitation to follow Jesus. And that's what spiritual disciplines are really all about. And so these things we've been talking about, I I believe that they can lay a foundation for spiritual growth in your life. And so today we're looking at our 10th spiritual discipline. 
Okay, we've covered the inward disciplines of meditation and prayer and fasting and study. I think we have a slide for this. Uh, You can put it up. Meditation, prayer, fasting, study. The outward disciplines are simplicity and solitude and submission and service. And then just last week, we jumped into what we would call the corporate disciplines, okay? We talked about what? Confession. That was a tough one. I'm honestly glad you're back this week after that message, right? Um, But seriously, we we talked about how there is freedom from guilt and shame as we confess our sins to God. We know that he forgives our sins. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But we also talked last week about how in order to be healed, we need to confess our sins one to another. That's why confession is actually a corporate discipline. In order to live into it, we must live in community together. Now, the discipline of community... Uh, I'm sorry, of confession cannot be fleshed out in isolation. It's only in the corporate gathering. And today's discipline is another one of those corporate disciplines, okay? It is the discipline of worship. Now, when we think of spiritual disciplines, worship may not be one that comes to your mind. For many, worship is just a portion of the Sunday service, right? We're going to worship, and then we're going to go into the Word, right? And worship is something that we often talk about but I don't think we give enough thought to it. We don't really think so often about why we do what we do on a, on a Sunday morning or throughout the week, right? In the book of Revelation, it's Revelation, not Revelations, okay? In the book of Revelation, the apostle John describes a series of visions that he was given. And he actually saw into the throne room of heaven. He witnessed the glory of God seated on the throne, He saw Jesus appearing sometimes as the lamb that was slain for God's people and at times as a great conqueror, waging war, riding on a white horse with the armies of heaven following behind. He saw images, right, of beasts and dragons and bulls and trumpets all signifying, all symbolizing the enormous struggle taking place between the forces of God and the forces of Satan. And then he saw the end of earth's history, when Satan is defeated and vanquished for all time, and he witnessed the new heavens and the new earth where God's people will live forever in joy. And when John was shown this final scene, he saw God's ultimate triumph, he saw the joy of God's people, he was so overcome with emotion that he actually fell down and he worshiped the angel who had been showing him all these things. Revelation 22, 9, the angel says to him, you must not do that. (laughs) In other words, cut it out, John. He says, I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. And then he says this, worship God, worship God. If we were to summarize the teaching of the Bible in just a few sentences, one of them would be this two-word sentence spoken by the angel to John Worship God. Write it down. Worship God. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What does he say? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul. What is that? That's worship. You see, the heart of the Christian life is to be found in worship. The Westminster Confession of Faith uh, emphasizes the centrality of worship to human existence when it declares this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him 
forever. It says that's the reason we exist, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's why we have the Great Commission. That's why we as a church are involved in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because of this, the purpose of missions is actually to multiply worshipers of God. In other words, as John Piper says this, he says, missions exist because worship does not. Because there is not worship of God in that nation, we need to bring the gospel, and ultimately it will change that nation to become worshipers of God. You see, the Bible presents God as the one who is worthy of worship and repeatedly calls us to worship him. Now, why do we worship God? Well, because the word of God tells us to, yes. But what does worship actually do for us? Again, all of these spiritual disciplines allow us to remain open to God, and that openness to God allows him to do what he needs to do in our lives. And when we worship God, I believe this, that we're drawn into the very presence of God. When we gather corporately like this, when we sing these songs and we lift up the name of Jesus, I believe that we encounter the very presence of God, that we are surrounded by his glory. And when we are surrounded by God's glory, we are changed and we are transformed. Isaiah chapter six, the prophet Isaiah had his own vision of heaven, right? He is standing before the throne of God. And he sees God in in all of his majesty, and and the result of that is this awareness of his own unworthiness, his own sin. I want to tell you, the more you see the glory of God, the more aware you will be of sin and shortcoming in your own life. And so Isaiah, in this moment, he's overwhelmed by his own sin. He says, oy vey, right? He says, woe is me. He says, I'm undone. He's literally saying, man, I feel like I'm coming apart at the seams. And the angel responds by taking a coal from the altar and placing it on his lips. And the angel says, your sin is taken away. I want to tell you, there is something about coming into the very presence of God that exposes our own sin, our own shortcomings, but also allows us to see the forgiveness of God in a way that ought to transform us and change us. And so you can read about this vision of Isaiah and say, man, what a thing is that, right? But understand, when we worship, when we enter into worship, you and I are invited into that same place. We're invited into that kind of encounter. The word worship comes from the Saxon word, weorthskype, okay, which later became worship. And really it means this, to ascribe the proper worth. To worship God means to magnify, to lift up his worthiness. In, in the Old Testament, the most common Hebrew word for worship is hishtava. And the basic meaning of that word is this, to bow down. It occurs 171 times in the Old Testament. Now in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, 164 of these instances are translated by the Greek word, which is proskuneo, okay, proskuneo. This is the main word for worship in the Greek New Testament. 26 times in the Gospels, we see people, they come and they proskuneo, they bow down and they worship Jesus. You see, authentic worship ascribes worth to God. And here's the deal today. God is God whether we recognize it or not, right? He he doesn't change based on my perception of who he is. But when I live a life of worship, when I worship God in all that I do, I actually experience the reality of who he is. 
And that reality changes me. You see, in worship, we can know and we can experience and we can feel the very presence of God. Think about that. In worship, we can have this awareness, man. Christ is here. He's in our midst. I love the way Richard Foster describes worship in his book. He says it's this. He says it's a breaking into the Shekinah glory of God, or better yet, being invaded by the glory of God. Wow. I want to tell you this morning, here's, here's the amazing thing. God is actively seeking worshipers. You see, while worship is something that we do, understand it's something that God actually initiates. God seeks out and he draws us to himself. And so worship is really a human response to God's divine initiative in our life. Richard Foster says it this way. Worship is our response to the overtures of love from the heart of the Father. Wow, think about that for a moment. I love that. Worship is our response to the overtures of love from the heart of the Father. Understand this today. God doesn't need our worship, okay? However, the more we get to know him, the more we'll find he is leading us into a life of worship. Why? Because in worship, we find the place that we were ultimately designed to be. And, and that's how worship of God is good for us. It's where God has designed us to be. C.S. Lewis said this, we praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Think about that. He says, it is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. I love that. Think about that. Delight in the Lord is incomplete until it's expressed. Now, if you say to me, man, worship's like just not my thing, I, I don't think you fully understand it, or maybe you haven't experienced it, right? If you say worship's not for you, I want to tell you, you're not going to like heaven very much, okay? <laughs> you're not, right? I mean, I love Sunday mornings here at Grace Point because I believe it's a glimpse of heaven, right? It's a glimpse of heaven where every tribe and tongue and nation will be gathered around the throne of God, lifting up the name of Jesus, giving him his due, his, his worship. Now, remember, spiritual disciplines have the intended purpose that is to develop godly habits that facilitate a more intimate relationship with Jesus, Spiritual disciplines are, are meant to transform us. John chapter 4, in verse 19, Jesus is talking with a, a woman from Samaria. And the woman asks Jesus to, to settle an argument where people should worship. And in, instead, Jesus talked about the type of worship that actually pleases God. Look at John chapter 4, verse 19 with me. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And Jesus told her things about her life that no one would know unless they were prophetic, right? I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she says this, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But listen to this, verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. See, this woman mentions a debate that had been going on at this point for 400 years between the Jews and the Samaritans, and it all centered around what is the proper place to worship God. And the Jews said, well, the proper place to worship God is obviously in the temple in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans taught God wants to be worshipped on Mount Gerizim, which was a mountain in Samaria. And, And they were both hung up on what I would call the dressings of worship. They were hung up on the external outward signs of worship that we tend to think must be present in order for worship to occur. Things like the church building, right, and the singing of the songs and, and the preachers preaching and all these things like that. Now, these things are nice. These things are good. Don't get me wrong, right? But, but they aren't what make worship worship. In fact, you can have all of these things and still not have worship, right? And conversely, you can have none of these things, no church building, no songs being sung, no sermon being preached, and still have worship. Let me give you an illustration. I could dress up today like a doctor, okay? I could come up here, I could put a a white coat on, I could have a stethoscope around my neck, I could carry a medical chart in my hand, but if you were having a medical emergency right now, you would not want me to work on you. Why? Because I'm terrified of blood, right? And I've never been to medical school, right? I don't have the right knowledge, I don't have the right skill set, and so dressing me up like a doctor doesn't make me one. Likewise, we could have a doctor in, in the room this morning. Perhaps you're not dressed like a doctor. They're not carrying that little black bag, right? They don't have a doctor's coat on. There's none of these things that you expect to see when you see a doctor. And yet, if I were to have a medical emergency right now, I want you to come up and help me, all right? Why? Because they're a doctor, right? Even if the clothes and appearance aren't what I would expect, they have the right knowledge, they have the right skill set, even if they aren't wearing the doctor's clothes. In the same way, it's not the dressings of worship that make worship. It's not the church building and the songs and the sermons. There's something more than that which is necessary in order for worship to take place in our lives. The Jews and the Samaritans, they were, they were hung up on this issue involving the dressings of worship. They're arguing over what's the proper place to worship, right? And Jesus says they're both wrong, actually. He says, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And Jesus was right. Because within a short period of time, the Roman armies would put an end to formal worship of God in both places. You see, Jesus understood that it's not the place that makes the worship. It's not the dressings of worship that are really important to Jesus. The the place we worship God was not the important thing. He refused to get in the debate over Jerusalem or Gerizim, right? And I want to tell you this morning, these things with which we dress up worship, the building, the order of service, all these things, they aren't the most important thing for Jesus It's not the place that makes the worship. It's not these dressings of worship. Rather, it's the attitude of the worshiper. Jesus says this, that true worshipers would worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Here's the key sentence. True worship, which was anticipated uh, for the age to come. He says, the hour is coming. In other words, in the age to come and is now here. The already but not yet. Already the kingdom has broken in, but not yet in completion. 
And, and what marks this true future worship that has broken into the present time from the glorious age to come? It, it's not bound by a localized place. It's not bound by an outward form. Instead of being on this mountain or in Jerusalem, it is in spirit and truth. Not that it would be wrong to worship God in the temple or on the mountain. Not that it would be wrong for us to use outward forms, but rather he's making explicit and central that this is not what makes worship worship. What makes worship worship is what happens in spirit and truth, with or without a place, with or without outward forms, in spirit. What does that mean? It means that true worship is carried along by the Holy Spirit. And it's happening mainly as an inward spiritual event, not an outward event, right? And I take truth to mean that this true worship is a response to true views of God. It's shaped and guided by true views of who God actually is. When the heart is far from God, I want to tell you, worship is in vain, when the heart is far from God, worship is empty. I would say it's actually non-existent. And so Jesus breaks this connection between worship and its location. He's saying worship is mainly something that is inward and free from location. All right? this, this is what he meant when he says in Matthew chapter 15, he says, this people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Right? And he says, so in vain, they worship me. When the heart is far from God, worship is in vain. Worship is empty. Really, again, it's non-existent. You see, the experience of the heart is the defining essence of worship. We, we can have all the best music and all the right methods and all the right techniques, but we have not worshiped the Lord until we've done it in spirit, until our spirit touches his spirit. You, you see, throughout the New Testament, we see worship is, is significantly deinstitutionalized. It's delocalized. It's deritualized. The emphasis is taken off of the ceremony. It's taken off of the places and the forms, right? Sit, stand, kneel, do all these things. Here's what you got to do, right? And it's shifted to what's happening in the heart. Not just on Sunday morning, but every day, all of the time in our lives. This is what it means when we read things like 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is a form of worship that is commanded in the New Testament to act in such a way that actually reflects the value of the glory of God, to do a thing in the name of Jesus with thanks to God. This is the form of living worship. But the New Testament uses those, those greatest of all worship sentences without any reference to worship services. They actually describe a lifestyle. See, I wanna, I, you understand this this morning. Place and form are not the essence of worship. Spirit and truth are. This is what, what, what shaped the, the Reformed tradition, especially the Puritans. I don't know if you read any uh, of the Puritans' writings. I found a book years ago with Puritan prayers, and it just shook, shook my life. But the Puritans carried this idea of simplification and freedom in music and liturgy and architecture. The life of the Puritan was, in one sense, a continuous act of worship. 
One of the reasons that the Puritans didn't call their churches churches, they called them meeting houses. And they kept them very simple, was to avert attention from the physical place to the inward spiritual nature of worship. You see, in the New Testament, there is very little reference to outward forms and places of worship. And there is, at the same time, this great emphasis on worship as an inward spiritual experience that ought to pervade every area of our lives. And so how do we prepare for worship, right? Like, how do we live into this discipline more? I think the most common way that we know to worship is Sunday mornings, right? We sing and we, we lift our hands, we, we enter into worship in that way, and, and really those things are all about bringing attention in our lives to Jesus. And so there is power, I want to tell you, there is power in corporate worship. There, there is power in, in singing and praising God together. Again, through an encounter with God, we draw into the, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the gathering as we're assembled. But here's the truth. In every life, worship is taking place. We all worship something, right? Whether it's fame or money or recognition or power. But I want to tell you, those things have no power to save us. Instead, they so often enslave us and they they disappoint us, right? But when we worship God, he actually is able to change us and to transform us. Romans chapter 12, Paul says this, verse 1, he says, Therefore, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, as you look at the the mercy of God in your life, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, what? This is your true and proper worship. And then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I want to tell you today, a transformed life is a gift from God. It is. It's a gift from God. It's a gift that we grow into from spending time in his presence, surrounded by his glory. You see, the result of worship is more worship. It's true and proper worship. And so how do we live into this more as a church? That's what I was thinking about this week. How do we live into this? Three things I want to give you, and then we're going to worship corporately together. Number one is this. When you come to worship, carry a holy expectancy. Like, don't show up on Sunday morning totally cold and say, all right, worship team, you do your thing, right? You, you make it happen. I'm, I'm dependent on you guys. No, prepare in advance for the corporate gathering. Prepare to encounter God with an expectancy. In the word of God, we see that people would gather together with a holy expectancy. They believed that they would actually hear the call Yahweh, the voice of God in the gathered assembly. When Moses would go into the tabernacle, man, he knew he was entering the very presence of God. The same was true of the early church. So often the, the building that they met in would literally shake with the power of God, and they were not surprised by that fact. You see, the early church was very aware of the fact that the veil had been torn in the temple And so now they have this vision of worship, man, we're entering into the Holy of Holies. We're entering into the presence of God. 
See, they gathered with a holy anticipation, knowing that Christ was among them and knowing that his spirit would teach them and that his power would touch their lives. How do we cultivate this holy expectancy as a church? I want to tell you again, it doesn't just happen on Sunday morning. It begins throughout the weeks as we enter into the Shekinah of our hearts, in our workplaces, in our homes, where we're listening to the voice of God. We're living in the presence of God. We are practicing the presence of God in our lives so that on Sunday morning, our worship is a response to the overtures of love of God that we're hearing throughout the week. Secondly, I would say this. In worship, choose a form that best suits you. When we worship in in the corporate assembly, everybody looks a little bit different, right? Everybody's expression looks a little bit different. And and I'm not telling you this morning to choose a form that's comfortable for you. Some of you, that's all you do. It's comfortable for me, right? But I want to say, choose a form that is best suited for you to encounter the presence of God. For some of you, it's going to be bowing down, taking a, a knee and bowing before the Lord. For some of you, it's going to be hands lifted. For some of you, you need to get out and you need to dance. That's fine. Get, do that, right? I mean, David danced before God in his underwear. I'm not giving you any ideas this morning. That would be a bit distracting, right? But I want you to understand, again, it's, it's not the form, but it's the posture of the heart. And so what is it for you that allows you to press in to the presence of God? Is it kneeling? Is it eyes closed? Is it hands? Whatever it is, you find that place, And you come with a holy expectancy, man. I'm going to encounter the presence of God. Again, I don't know what that looks like for you, but use the form that best suits you and go into worship corporately with your whole being, both your head and your heart. Worship in the truth of who God is, but also worship filled with the Holy Spirit. And finally, here's my challenge today. Would you stand with me this morning? Here's my last challenge, and we're going to go into worship this morning. But I want to challenge you to allow the experience on Sunday morning to carry over into all that you do. Come on, church, that we would be worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And so as we take time to worship this morning, I just pray this, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to work on your mind in order to view this time a little bit differently. It's not just a time to feel good. It's not a time to say, oh, man, they're they're singing my song. It's a time to have an encounter with Jesus and to know this, that that encounter actually changes us. As we focus our minds on Jesus this morning, understand that worship is really all about him. It's not about us. He is worthy. And he's calling us to a place of worship. He's drawing us to the place where we need to be, the place that you and I were actually created for. And so as we move into this time, I just want to encourage you in this way to choose a form that best suits you. The altars are open today. If you want to come and you want to kneel during worship, if you want to find a place up here, if you want to dance through this place, if you want to lift your hands, I want to tell you there's freedom, okay? There's freedom in this place. But let's do this corporately right now. If you're comfortable with it, just go ahead and lift your hands around the sanctuary today. We're just going to pray right now that the Holy Spirit would give us a holy expectancy of meeting him in this moment. We're not just going to go through a list of songs right now. We're, we're going to meet with Jesus. We're going to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, believing that his spirit is touching our spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. Lord, we recognize today our, our desperate need for you. 
Lord, we, we, we lift up your name. We declare today that you are worthy, that you are holy. And so Holy Spirit, come and have your way in our hearts. Lord, help us in this moment to just focus our attention on you, to give you our devotion, to, to worship you with our heart and with our mind, with all that we have. Lord God, we just with hands lifted around this place, we surrender to you. Come on, church, begin to lift your voice. Before we sing a song today, our worship can begin to rise to him. Come on, begin to tell him how worthy he is. Begin to lift your voice. Come on, just lift your voice to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's, let's press into him. Let's, let's, let's have a holy expectancy in this moment that he desires to meet with us. Again, these altars are open for some of you. You just need to move out from where you are. You need to find a place. You just need to worship. But give him your whole heart this morning as we do. Hallelujah.